references to the cherubim and seraphim and so forth, well, we truly believe we are participating in the angelic chorus of heaven. So uh, we're going to turn it over to Robert uh, to complete his talk, and we're grateful that you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, as always, if we could begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All you holy angels and archangels, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Um, before I begin, dive into my talk, uh, a couple of uh, excuses and also some thank yous. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for bearing with me. I'm working on about four hours of sleep, so I know I'm rambling a bit, but doing my best. So thank you for your patience. Thank you again for being here. Um, this has been an amazing pilgrimage. It's been an amazing spiritual experience for myself. Um, I've enjoyed meeting with, with you, talking to you, um, praying with you, um, engaging in the liturgy with you. It's just been, it's been very, very special to me. Uh, and I'd especially like to thank Father Daniel for inviting me. Um, working with Father Daniel has been a a great providence in my life, uh, both in our uh, this pilgrimage and also our work with becoming Byzantine. So it's it's a great blessing to be here at St. George, to be at this shrine. Um, so really from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, and please, as uh, we kind of conclude our day today, um, do keep me in your prayers, uh, not just for safe travel, uh, but also as George and I uh, complete our, our deacon training program, uh, we've got four papers to write, so pray we can get through those and we can get some cooperative uh, bishops to come out and, and ordain us hopefully sometime next summer. So please do keep us in your prayers, please and thank you. All right, my last talk today um, is on the holy angels and their place in the liturgy. Um, and as Father had mentioned, we had that beautiful opportunity at the Divine Liturgy today, um, especially at the Feast of the Dormition. It was, it was just particularly beautiful, the liturgy, um, to really encounter the angels are interspersed throughout the liturgy, right? There's these little points of light that mention the liturgy. And so really, I just want to spend some time in my last talk taking you through those um, and through some other uh, prayer services that we have through the year, especially in regards to St. Michael, and looking at those liturgical texts, um, because it's so easy, we can miss them, right? Especially if you're Byzantine already, you go to Divine Liturgy every Sunday. Um, you can miss those things, you know, just by familiarity. And so I think if we really stop and pause and consider how the angels are at work in the, in, in the liturgy, um, we'll catch it next time and I think appreciate it more. Now, every Divine Liturgy begins with, Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed is the kingdom. And earlier I had mentioned that the angels are an integral part of that kingdom. They are part of the heavenly realm. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So right up front in our liturgy, the first words of blessing of the priest, from the priest 
the angels are always are already there, right? They are part of that kingdom that we're entering into at the Holy Liturgy, right? They're integral parts of the kingdom of heaven. They're heralds of the good news. They're intercessors, protectors, guides, right? They're part of that heavenly realm, right? And as I had mentioned, they have no physical restraints. They're the bodiless powers of heaven. And so they're constantly calling out to one another in liturgy and in worship of God, holy, holy, holy. Remember I said, the angels teach us ceaseless prayer because they ceaselessly pray. But the worship of the angels, their constant calling to one another is not separate from our worship. It's not separate. They are part of the communion of the saints. Right? And at the liturgy, as Father Michael so beautifully mentioned in his homily, right, it's, it celebrates the joining together, the merger of heaven and earth. Heaven descends and we walk in heaven on earth during the divine liturgy. And the angels are essential parts of that. Right? The church triumphant in heaven and the church suffering on earth with the angels worship together. They're never separate. Now, a unique part of our Eastern divine liturgy is the prothesis rite, which many of us don't see because it happens before the liturgy, but it's the preparation of the bread and wine for the divine liturgy. Now, part of that beautiful service um, are the angels. The particles that the priest puts on the discos first commemorate uh, the, the Mother of God, and right after the Mother of God are the angels. Right? Not bad company. Right? To be commemorated right after the Mother of God. Um, that's pretty significant. Right? And also, that particle on the discos means that the, the angels are with us in the Eucharistic sacrifice. Right? They're there with us, right? And we this is how our church expresses that reality in the, the prothesis rite. Now, throughout the divine liturgy, we, we often mention the angels. And again, these are just a few of the texts. Sometimes we hear them, sometimes we don't. Um, but again, if they're too familiar, now we're going to remind ourselves so that they kind of take root more in our hearts. Now, one thing that the faithful generally don't hear is the prayer that the priest says as part of the little entrance. So the entrance with the book of the Gospels. There's a silent prayer that the priest prays that references the angels. And it's actually, it's very beautiful. And it goes like this. Lord, our Master and God, who established orders and armies of angels and archangels for the service of your glory in heaven, make this our entrance, make this our entrance an entrance of holy angels, con-celebrating with us, and glorifying your goodness. For to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is due all glory, honor, and worship, now and ever and forever. Amen. That's the prayer that the priest makes as the entrance with the book of the Holy Gospels is going into the holy place. Um, reminding him and reminding those ministers around him that it's the angels that can celebrate with them. And that's really beautiful, right? That kind of, those clerical tones of the angels are, are really beautiful, especially for, I mean, it makes, it strikes me with awe as one who's preparing for the diaconate, that ministry of the angels and that ministry of the priest and the deacon, 
uh, it fills me with, with, with awe. And in the East, we, we kind of we express this in our iconography, especially, and also the vesture of the priests and the deacons. Right? So some things you see in the Byzantine church, the deacon doors. Now, this particular sanctuary doesn't have deacon doors, but the, the, the church, the temple, has the deacon doors, uh, the north and south doors. So if you haven't been in the church yet, please do go. They're, they're quite beautiful. The iconography in the parish is gorgeous. But you'll notice on the deacon doors, oftentimes there's icons of holy deacons. The protodeacon Stephen or the protodeacon Lawrence, um, or particularly sainted deacons. Maybe if a church is named after a particularly holy deacon, his image will be on the deacon doors. But more often than not, instead of a deacon being on the deacon doors, it's not a deacon, it's the archangels. So I noticed in St. George, you have the archangel Michael on one of the deacon doors, right? And you might look at that and you might think, well, deacon doors, what's the connection between the archangels and the role of the diaconate? Well, we've already talked a little bit about the role of the angels as emissaries. An emissary is one who is sent. So back in the ancient world, kings and emperors would have emissaries, right? They'd have the nice purple robes, and they'd be sent to a neighboring country to you know, conduct a treaty or some trade or something like that. But the king was a busy guy, so he couldn't go himself, so he sent someone that he trusted. That's an emissary. And in the early church, that role of the diaconate was very much a role of an emissary. Um, if you are a fan of the Becoming Byzantine series, uh, a common contributor and really great guy, um, uh, Father Deacon Anthony Drogani, uh, wrote a beautiful paper on the deacons as emissaries, which you can find on the EWTN website. Um, I made him put it there because it's just a good, it's really, really well done. But it's something we often forget that deacons are ones who are sent, right? The deacon goes into the holy place, but he comes out, right? And he stands here and he gives the litanies. The deacon is the one who's the go-between the priests and the people, Right? He takes the petitions of the people and presents them before the holy doors. Right? The deacon, that role of the deacon as an emissary is very, very clear, especially in the writings of the ancient church. Right? Oftentimes in the ancient church, even deacons were the presidents of ecumenical councils. Right? So liturgically, that role of the deacon is a mirror image of the celestial role of the angels, right? And so every time a deacon goes in and out of those deacon doors, it's a reminder to him of that role, that he is an emissary. He's a go-between heaven and earth, right? He is an intercessor. Um, it, it, feels, it, it I just got chills. I mean, to think, I mean, George and I are hopefully going to approach that. Um, that's such a beautiful, beautiful ministry. And please pray that we're made worthy of such a great grace. As the liturgy progresses, the cherubic hymn also reinforces the communion that we have with the angels in the divine liturgy. Because we take on the voice of the cherubim. Right? We who mystically represent the cherubim. 
right? We put those words into our mouths, right? Now, of course, the cherubim are there with us. But we, in that moment, we mystically represent the cherubim. So that Kim, which was so beautifully sung today and interspersed with the verses from the Psalms, which is great, reminds us of that communion that we have with the angels, especially as we approach the Eucharistic sacrifice, as we enter into that time of the anaphora, the Eucharistic prayer. right? And of course, the cherubic hymn ends with that we may receive the King of all invisibly escorted by angelic hosts. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Right? The angels in that moment, they're heralds, right? They're announcing the good news that Christ is coming to be present, to dwell with us in the Eucharist. It's the angels who, who make that good news known to us in that cherubic hymn. It's quite beautiful. Now, as the liturgy progresses, you get into the Eucharistic prayer, the anaphora. And the anaphora of St. John Chrysostom, which we heard today, Praise, we also thank you for this liturgy which you are pleased to accept from our hands, even though there stand before you thousands of archangels, tens of thousands of angels, cherubim and seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, soaring aloft on their wings. Right? Now when we pray, when the priest prays that, it's recognizing that we as sinful human beings feel inadequate. We feel inadequate in offering praise to God. And yet, St. John Chrysostom, in writing that in his Eucharistic prayer, gives us confidence of our communion with the angels and their heavenly ministry as we worship it at earthly altars. As the pre after the priest makes present the sacred and holy body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, as he's there on the altar, the deacon comes out again, intercessor and praise this intercessory prayer for an angel of peace a faithful guide and guardian of our souls and bodies let us beseech the Lord now he's making that prayer in the presence of Christ on the altar that gives it new importance it's not an ordinary petition it's a petition made in the awesome presence of our Eucharistic God right that petition is elevated and made more important, and our our asking in His presence, right, and and also bringing with us the, the holy angels who have assisted us in worship, right. We ask for that angel to accompany us, that he might continue to guard our souls and bodies. Now, if you ever delve into any monastic literature, like the Philokalia. Um, you read many accounts of the ministry of the angels at the Divine Liturgy. In the Philokalia, there's an account of Abba Philemon, who says this. He says, During the Divine Service, he was filled with fear when the priest intoned the words, Holy things for the holy. Because he used to say that the whole church was filled with angels. He could see the angels. And that, that statement of the priest, Holy things for the holy, right? In the company of the, the angels, we don't look so holy. But it's that fear, it's that holy fear that makes that reception of Holy Communion so much more intimate and special for us. In the life of St. Nephron of Constantia, who is a particularly ascetical bishop, 
Um, he was a contemporary of St. John Climacus, who I've cited several times. He recounts conversations that he had with an angel standing at the altar. He also saw other angels ascending and descending at, at particular moments of the liturgy. Other angels he saw participating in chanting. Lord, I'm learning how to chant now at my church. Lord knows I need the angel's help. <laughs> he also saw the angels accompanying the gifts at the great entrance. And also the fact that the angels observed the worthiness of those coming to approach Holy Communion. St. Jacobos, who I've mentioned several times today, says this, People are blind. They don't see what takes place during the Divine Liturgy. Once I was serving and I couldn't make the great entrance, so the, the entrance with the holy gifts, because of what I saw, I suddenly felt someone pushing me by the shoulders and guiding me. I thought it was the chanter. I turned around and saw a huge wing of an archangel laid on my shoulder, and he was guiding me to make the great entrance. What amazing things take place during the divine liturgy. Sometimes I can't handle it. And so I pass out in a chair, and some concelebrators conclude that I have something wrong with my health, but they don't realize what I see and hear. The angels are not spectators during the divine liturgy. They actually minister with us. St. Jacobos' testimony is particularly poignant, especially for those here who are priests and deacons. The angels confirm your orders. Again, this is something that makes me shudder, right? And the, the angels minister with you at the divine liturgy. What a supreme honor. Again, pray that George and I become worthy of such an honor, right? Now, so far we've talked about the role of the holy angels at the divine liturgy, but let's be a little bit more general and discuss how we commemorate our angels during the liturgical year. On November 8th, we have the Feast of the Synaxis of the, holy, uh, Synaxis of the Leaders of the Heavenly Host, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. That's a, that's a mouthful. But it's a feast that celebrates the archangels. It's a major feast in our church. Um, it includes an all-night vigil with an entrance and a gospel during Orthros, which doesn't always happen. And even if it's a fasting day, you're allowed to partake in wine and oil. The liturgical texts during that day are pretty spectacular. I had a chance to look at them. Um, the troparia for the day. And again, kind of ask the Lord to help this seep into your, into your soul. The troparia is, O captains and leaders of the armies of heaven, unworthy as we are, we beseech you without cease. Surround us with your intercessions and cover us beneath the shelter of the glory of your ethereal wings. We bend our knee and cry out with perseverance. Deliver us from danger, O princes of the powers from on high. The Kontakian for the day is, O princes and leaders of God's armies, servants of the divine glory, instructors of men, and commanders of angels, ask whatever is good for us and bountiful mercy, O princes and leaders of the angels. So again, we see here in these liturgical texts the same types of things, these same confirmations that we've seen throughout the day. Angels intercede, they shelter, they lead, they instruct. Now as we consider the text for St. Michael, the patron of this pilgrimage, right, 
the text from Great Vespers on that feast on November 8th during the Liti is this. Michael, the chief commander of the powers on high, the captain of the hosts of God, has called us today for this solemn feast. And he is always at our side to preserve us from every adversity coming from the devil. Come then, all you who love Christ and the feasts, with pure minds, and let us gather a garland of virtues. With peaceful hearts, let us celebrate the general feast of the archangel. For he always stands before God, singing the thrice holy hymn and interceding for the salvation of our souls. I'm going to repeat that first line in honor of St. Michael right now. Michael, the chief and commander of the powers on high, the captain of the hosts of God, has called us today to a solemn feast. Even though it's not November, um, we are here in honor of St. Michael. And so I think he has called us here to that solemn feast. We've got such beautiful hymnography in our church on these feast days. Um, and I'm going to do a brief plug to our clergy who are here. Um, our monastics were here earlier. Um, what's beautiful about the monastic life is they hear all of this. They pray all of this, right? All seven hours of the, of the divine office. They pray this. They hear this. And they integrate it into their spiritual lives. Um, I'm blessed to come from a parish where we have Vespers on Wednesday. And anytime there's a major feast, we have Vespers the night before. Um, I know you guys have a pretty full liturgical schedule here. And that's wonderful. Um, I wish in our parishes universally that our, our pastors offered Vespers and Matins on a more regular basis. Because it's the only time that lay people get to hear these beautiful hymns, and they are really, really beautiful. Um, so I commend uh, your pastors, especially Father, Father Daniel, for really giving that liturgical life in the parish uh, such a home where you hear these things, um, and you can more, more easily integrate them into your own spiritual lives, because you can't integrate what you don't know. So I really, this is a beautiful, beautiful home that you have here. Now, beyond the Divine Liturgy and beyond uh, St. Michael, um, he's hymned, uh, the angels are hymned throughout the Church's Divine Office. Of course, as Byzantines, every Monday is dedicated to the Holy Angels liturgically. We have special canons of the angels at Orthros. We have a beautiful supplementary canon to the Guardian Angels. So, long story short, um, we've got multiple occasions and multiple points throughout our liturgical prayer where we reference and pray to and pray with the angels. They live and they worship with us. So, some conclusions. As we've seen those texts from the Divine Liturgy, we've looked a little bit at the hymnography of the great feasts of the angels that we celebrate as Byzantine Christians. Hopefully, I've convinced you today that we need to integrate our, guard, our angels more and more into our spiritual lives because they are powerful intercessors and they pray with us. They're here right now. They're praying with us right now. And so a couple of practical things to leave you with to maybe help you to integrate the angels more into your daily lives. First, families. Every member of your family has a guardian angel. Your children 
have guardian angels. If you don't have a guardian angel icon in your home, get one. Uh, my children have one in their bedroom. Um, and I try to get them to leave it, leave it alone and not color on it. Um, <laughs> but it's so important to have an icon of the guardian angels in your home. When your children go off to college, make them take the icon with them so that they put it in their dorm room. That's important. The image of an angel has thwarted evil throughout the history of our church. And Lord knows I, I did enough stupid things in college. I needed an icon of my guardian angel to remind me, don't be so stupid. All right? But especially as your kids grow up and as they move out of the house, make sure that they have an icon of the guardian angels. For newborns. Put that icon of the guardian angel by their crib or where they sleep. That's a good, pious tradition, right? An angel at your bedside is good protection. It's good protection for an unprovided for and sudden death, which sometimes does happen. You know, those who, who, who die in their sleep. But if they have that icon of the, of the guardian angels there at their bedside, they were not unaccompanied. That is such a powerful thing to have your icons where you are. Those holy reminders. And icons are windows to heaven. If you have them there in your room, your angels can see you. They see you and they're interceding for you. Another piece of advice. Check in with your angels in prayer. Especially in times of temptation. We all experience temptations. Now, it's always great to cling to your prayer ropes. Lord knows I need to do it more um, in times of temptation to cling to your prayer rope and to call on the name of Jesus. Um, the name of Jesus is powerful. It will thwart the demons every time. But also, ask your angels to intercede for you in times of temptation. Because that's a very biblical thing to do. When our Lord went out into the wilderness to be tested, at the end of his testing and enduring those temptations from the devil, the angels ministered to him. We often forget that part. We just think, oh yeah, Jesus went out in the desert and kicked butt. But no, that was a real trial for our Lord. And the angels brought him comfort and peace at the end of that. It's really, really beautiful. And it's, it's biblical. It's right there in the text. Right? Lastly, there's something that is important to remember about liturgy. And I've touched on this before. But when we gather together... Our angels were all together in the communion of saints to offer the sacrifice of praise. When we gather together to receive the Eucharist, the effects of that Eucharist cannot be contained in the walls of the church. Because it's, the, it's, it's Christ our God. Who can contain him? Not me. I can't. That grace overflows in, in, beyond the walls of your church into your communities, right? There's a beautiful part in the anaphora of St. Basil, which we hear during Great Lent on Sundays, where St. Basil prays that those who are evil might become good. I love that line. I think about it often. We've lived in a fallen world since Eden, and we continue to struggle with sin and deep woundedness, right? I talked a little bit about shame in that second talk. People are hurting. Our world is hurting for Christ's divine mercy. Hurting badly. 
Now, as the faithful, it's our job. We go to church, we say our prayers, we live the Christian life. But, if that's all you're doing, it's a good start, but it's not enough. And it begins with me. Right? I need to do this better. I need to witness to Christ better. I need to take that Eucharist which I receive every Sunday and take it out beyond the walls of the church and spread the love of Christ to others. You know, And I've been, I've been in those occasions before where I've had an opportunity to witness to Christ and I become mute as a fish. I can't, the words swell up in my mouth and I can't get the words out. We've all had that experience before. We have to ask our angels to help remove that impediment, that, that, that you know, stiffness in our necks and, and to loosen our tongues so that we can speak the gospel, so that we can let people know that Christ died for them. Christ loves them and he's ready to embrace them. Now, we've talked a little bit about all the excuses that the devil introduces into our lives. But we, all, we have to always witness to Christ. Um, recently, I heard the reading of St. Paul to Timothy. I love this. This is so beautiful. St. Paul says, Proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, encourage, with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away into myths. But as for you, be always sober, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Now, of course, that's a call to clergy. But not just clergy. That's a call to all the baptized. Of course we need more clergy. We need more readers. We need more cantors. We need subdeacons. Deacons. We need priests. And maybe a couple extra bishops. All right. We need those. But you know what? Husbands and wives, sons and daughters, lay people in the work, workforce, whatever your vocation is, you can do what St. Paul tells Timothy. You can witness to Christ in season and out of season. And let your angels help you to do that. They will help you with the words. They will give you the flame of God in your heart, if you want it to be there, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, I want you to leave you with a question. Lord, what is your will for me today? Ask your angels to ask you that question every day. Lord, what is your will today? Because it's doing the will of God on a daily basis, just like the angels do. They're obedient. It's doing the will of God on a daily basis that will give us a spirit of peace. And Lord knows we need a spirit of peace in our world today. Uh, St. Seraphim of Sarov, who Father Daniel mentioned in connection with the prayer rule of the Theotokos, famously said, Acquire the spirit of peace, and a thousand souls around you will be saved. Right? Now, our holy angels are definitely part of that process. They will help us to acquire that spirit of peace. And if you get that spirit of peace, you can't help but sharing it with others. And you will bring others 
to have that spirit of peace. And Lord knows we need souls to be saved. We need hearts aflame with the love of Jesus Christ in our world today. Our world needs it so desperately. You know it. I know it. We need to be about that work. It's a work that the angels participate in. And I hope today in my imperfect and rambling way, I've inspired us a little bit to take up that work with renewed strength in our own lives. Thank you very much. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Jesus Christ.